The Mark Stein Show. And now, here's Mark. July 28th, 2020, Regis Philbin died over the weekend, had a fabulous career, lived his life on camera, uh, and back in the days when uh, Manhattan had restaurants and cabarets and nightclubs and things you could do of an evening, imagine that. He was also something of a man about town. David Frost introduced me to him. David used to uh, go on with uh, Reg and Kathy Lee once in a while. And one of the many charming aspects of Frosty was that he always introduced people as if they were of equal stature, matching colossi. And so poor old Regis went away thinking, wow, this Stein guy must be a really big deal. So I uh, thank David uh, for that, among his many other kindnesses to me. Among Regis Philbin's uh, roll call of great achievements is a unique one. As you'll know, if you heard our President's Day music special, he's the only man in history to put Donald J. Trump on his Christmas album. Then one foggy Christmas Eve, the Trumpster came to say, You know, Rudolph, I've been on a worldwide search, and I hear your qualifications are just right to guide my sleigh tonight. Then how the reindeer loved him as they shouted out with glee. Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer You'll go down in history. When they did that live, the Trumpster, like Comet and Cupid and Donner and Blitzen, could get a little frisky. Then one foggy Christmas Eve, the Trumpster came to say, You know, Rudolph, you're so bright. Won't you guide my freaking sleigh tonight? And of course, we know where this is all headed. You'll go down in history. So, Donald, what do you think? Rudolph, you're hired. Blitzen, you're fired. That's who Donald Trump used to be before he became the new Hitler. Sure, there were plenty of people who thought he was a blowhard and a buffoon, but they thought of him as a non-partisan blowhard, a non-partisan buffoon. The right were correct to whine that he wasn't a philosophical conservative, but the left turned him into Hitler anyway, because that's what they do. Uh, regardless of who you nominate. Right now, Trump is trying to turn his campaign around uh, because he knows what his internal polls say. That's the difference between 2016 and 2020. Back then, he knew what he was doing was working, regardless of what Gallup said, so he didn't change a thing. This time, regardless of what Gallup says, he knows it's not working. That's why he cancelled the convention. That's why whatever... You might happen to think of that Tulsa rally. He ain't doing it again. Michael Goodwin of the New York Post, who is as fierce and loyal a Trump man as anyone. In fact, he interviews the president. He calls him up on the phone and speaks to him in this column I'm quoting from. Uh, he begins the piece this way. With apologies to James Carville, it's the COVID stupid. If the election were held today, the outcome would turn largely on voters' judgment of how the candidates handled the issue. And as Mr. Goodwin says, Trump's getting clobbered in the polls on this, for whatever that's worth. On Friday, I reiterated my position from three months ago that there are two viable positions, blame China or blame Trump. 
the Democrats have certainly taken that to heart. As Stein Clubber Kate Smythe commented, Nancy Pelosi and co are now calling it the Trump virus. Meanwhile, the tunnel vision right have wasted four months trying to put a glove on a minor federal bureaucrat, the fitfully masked Anthony Fauci. To reiterate, I can't stand Fauci, the sight of him, wearing that mask on an open air field to do that limp girly throw at a baseball game Americans are prohibited from attending, and then sitting in the empty stand, yucking it up with his mask conveniently discarded. The sight of that made me want to vomit. But the vast majority of the public don't feel the same way. Indeed, if uh, Basement Boy, what's his name? The sex predator with dementia. The guy we haven't seen for months. Uh, if he hadn't tied his hands by promising to make a woman his running mate, he could seal the deal and put Fauci as his veep and he'd have the election in the bag. The American right is not aiming at the target. The Trump virus works for the Dems because it hangs the thing around the neck of the guy they're trying to defeat. The Fauci virus hangs it around a minion of the executive branch who works for Trump. How does that work? China ties it together. The virus, the geostrategic threat, uh, the fact that they're totalitarian murderers, the fact that Biden and his crackhead son are shills for those totalitarian murderers. But there's something else I want to say too. I've learned through many years that most people are just not very numerate. Um, Several listeners asked me to comment uh, on the new global demographic numbers that just came out because they confirm what I wrote in my demographic bestseller 14 years ago, the one The Economist called Alarmist. Uh, and it, they confirmed that we're looking at a world tragedy in which the future of the planet, uh, unless we do something, is likely to be at best Botswana and at worst Somalia. But very few people can think clearly about numbers. And that's true not just of long-term demographic trends, but of the COVID in the here and now too. Arguing about the uh, CHICOM 19 numbers in terms of death per capita or the mortality rate, that's all valid, but it isn't going to get you anywhere. And the geniuses of the American right have got three months to get us somewhere, or the apocalypse is upon us. There are 150,000 dead Americans, and sure, expressed as a percentage of the US population, that's insignificant, statistically. But most people don't live in percentage land or statistic stan, and back in the real world, 150,000 dead Americans is a bloody huge pile of corpses. Uh, it's 50% bigger than the biggest city in my state. And even in Oklahoma, it's enough to leave thousands of empty seats from Trump fans who nevertheless uh, don't want to go all the way and, uh, and get the COVID for Trump. Now, public policy is another matter. No, no need for masks. No need for masks. Oh, got to wear a mask. We're going to fine you. We're going to arrest you if you don't have a mask. We might even shoot you if you come into a grocery store without a mask. Um, should we be like Sweden? Should we be like Switzerland? Well, nobody knows nothing, as my old friend Irving Caesar liked to say. But we do know this. 
that if your object is to elect a Republican president and Senate and maybe the House too, scoffing at the COVID isn't working because 150,000 dead Americans doesn't strike most of the living Americans as funny, as an absolute number, as an absolute number. These people are dead. They're dead because of Chairman Xi, the Chinese Politburo, and their shills at the WHO and elsewhere. You can sell that line. You can't sell the scoffing. And we can all meet up on November the 4th and see who was right on that. Or we could learn the lesson of the last two months. As Michael Goodwin, the loyalist of Trump loyalists, has learned it. It's the COVID stupid. It might not kill you or your granny, but it spent the last two months killing the GOP. Why waste time trying to hang it round Fauci uh, when you can hang it round Chairman Xi? Uh, I mentioned The Economist just now. 17 years ago, The Economist ran a cover story on the winner of the Brazilian election, the socialist leader Luiz Ignacio Lula da Silva. It was an event of great hemispherical significance, hence the big headline on the front of the magazine, The Meaning of Lula. The following week's letters page carried a short missive from one of The Economist's readers, Mr. Asif Niazi, quote, Sir... The meaning of Lula in Urdu is penis, which is true. And an important reminder that in a diverse world, words can have a diversity of meaning. And we are enjoined, are we not, to celebrate diversity. In Brazil, the meaning of pica is penis. So it didn't prevent Senor Maximiliani Espinosa Pica serving as the Minister of Works in Chile, where they speak Spanish, not Portuguese. On the other hand, Akbar Zed, a fellow I've actually met, Akbar Zed is a native Urdu speaker and would probably get a good laugh out of being presented to President Lula, but he was rejected by the Saudis as Pakistan's ambassador to Riyadh because the meaning of Z in Arabic is penis. The UK cop show that uh, provides our Brit wanker copper theme on this show, Zedkars. Zedkars would conjure something completely different in Saudi Arabia, although it might make a good name for the Mutaween, don't you think? Anyway, I mention this because linguistically we can no longer celebrate diversity. Um, the uh, present ructions are designed not just to abolish history, but also to abolish language in all its rich variety. Uh, instead, the language fascists and cultural imperialists of Black Lives Matter are insisting that words can only have one single meaning across the entire planet. The Mark Stein Show presents... Hey, leader, strike down the brand. 1933. Introduced by Fred Walker. The flagship brand of Australia's Warnambool Cheese and Butter Company is no more. You know, across this country, for over 50 years, we've had a cheese that's eaten more than any other. It's Australia's tasty cheese. The cheese that's big enough to shred and grill and never go to waste. 
with the big taste that makes Coon Australia's most eaten cheese. So when it's cheese you're after, nothing beats Coon. It's Australian for tasty. It may be Australian for tasty, but in American it means something else entirely. And so under the new cultural imperialism of the Yankee devil, the American meaning has to be imposed thousands of miles away down under. Now, it's true. If you're a visitor to Oz, the brand can be initially startling. Here's the stand-up comedian Stephen K. Amos getting big laughs. I swear to God, in Australia, if you go into the supermarket, you can buy cheese called Coon Cheese. <laughs> coon Cheese! It's advertised on the TV. Get your Coon Cheese, get your Coon Cheese. <laughs> Admittedly, not by a black man going, get your Coon Cheese. <laughs> that would be wrong. Australians. I said, why is it called Coon Cheese? They got defensive. It's just a nine! It's just a bloody nine! Well, the Ku Klux Klan is a name. They don't sell pillowcases. Coon has two meanings in American English. First, a derogatory term for blacks as old as the Republic. Second, an abbreviation for raccoon. Uh, the first meaning has been obsolete for a very long time. Ask a racist if you can find one. He uses other terms. Uh, the second is still current, at least in my neck of the woods. I well remember about a month after buying my pad in New Hampshire, having a conversation with my police chief, who was anxious to warn me of the dangers of rabid coons. But neither meaning has much currency in the lucky country, because it's a different country. That's how diverse our world is. Raccoons are not native to Australia, and its racial issues are likewise local and different from America's. Furthermore... G'day. Come and I'll show you some of my favourite spots around Australia. Coonamble, Coonalpin, Coonnewa Bridge. Stop the fridge. Coonawarra, Coonboomerang, Coonabarabran. Love that coon taste. Now let's talk to some real cheese experts. You mean coon cheese experts, Peter. <laughs> See what I mean? You're needing coon cheese for 60 years or more. Me too. 60 years? Come on. All around Australia, people love that great coon taste. Say cheese. Those are all real places. Coonamble in western New South Wales, Coonalpin in South Australia, Coonua Bridge in central Victoria. Uh, Coonawarra is a big uh, wine region. Oh, is the uh, Coonawarra Winery changing its name to something less offensive? I mean, that's some pretty fancy wine. The choice of Coonasers. Those names are all Aboriginal names, i.e. native to Australia rather than honouring some Scottish Earl or English Marquis who happened to be doing a tour of the colonies. What do they mean? Well, Coonawarra means honeysuckle. Coonalpin means barren women. Coonamble means a lot of faeces. Uh, Coonabara brand means either inquisitive person or peculiar odour. So in Australian... Coon seems to mean everything except a derogatory term for an African-American. It appears to be a gloriously Australian word. This story is sad, for no one was pleased when young Jenny Malone, ha, she bought the wrong cheese, cos it always goes down like a 
let the balloon when the family comes home to a house with no coon. That's right, folks. You can always rely on coon cheese because coon cheese has made the way good cheese should be made. Coon cheese is made the way good cheese should be made. As a matter of interest, just how is coon cheese made? Well, there once was a cheesemaker called Edward William Coon. And in 1926, he was granted a patent for a very specific cheese ripening process consisting of supplying through suitable means humidified air to a room or chamber set aside for the purpose. The humidified air to have a range of temperature from 45 to 75 degrees Fahrenheit and a moisture percentage of from 65% to 95%, and a process uh, for a cheese having an original moisture percentage of 36 to 40% and subjecting it to a temperature of uh, 55 to 70 degrees Fahrenheit in combination with a humidity percentage between 75 and 90%. Now, here's the thing. Edward William Kuhn was an American from Philadelphia, Born in 1871. That's to say he lived his entire life during the heyday of coon as a derogatory expression. During the period, for example, of the Tin Pan Alley coon song, if the man in the moon were a coon and uh, such like ditties. And Mr. Coon never once thought of changing his name. He was rather like the chap in the old Monty Python joke, Mr. Arthur Penis, who announced he was changing his name by deed poll to Mr. Art Penis. Mr. Edward William Kuhn uh, modified his name for business purposes to Mr. E.W. Kuhn. And he made E.W. Kuhn and Company a famous cheese brand in Pennsylvania. And he lived long enough to see the term Kuhn as a pejorative fade away. So sticking with his real name uh, turned out to be a good bet. A year before Mr. Coon's death in 1934, Fred Walker introduced Red Coon Cheese, quickly renamed Coon Cheese, to Australia, where for generations it has been beloved, albeit somewhat mystifyingly to, say, your average French fromageur. You'll enjoy the taste of Coon. Coon is a taste of cheese that tastes like Coon. What else? Ah, the taste of good old reliable coon. The same great coon flavor and quality in every bite. Chunk off the chunk off the chunk. You'll enjoy the taste of coon. Coon is Australia's favorite tasty cheese. Taste coon. You'll enjoy the taste of coon. Edward William Coon was a real human being. Not a celebrity, not a Colin Kaepernick, not a Robin D'Angelo, but someone who made a small but real contribution to human happiness. And 86 years after his death, his legacy endures on Australian dining tables and honours his name. And now he is to be erased from the supermarket shelves and from posterity by the Warnambool Cheese and Butter Company's current corporate masters, Saputo of Montreal, the usual craven, appeasing, squishy cheese types who run like camembert. I think I'm in favour of changing Saputo's name to Coonamble, as in a lot of faeces. 
It is a small loss, but it is a real loss, and one that helps make our world even more moronic than it is. Celebrate diversity, we're told. What diversity? The very peculiar racial history of America is entirely different from that of Britain, Canada, France, Italy, Denmark, and Australia. But its endless relitigation now has to be exported around the planet and imposed in a one-size-fits-all cultural reckoning. Is there to be any reciprocation? Sheila is regarded by Australian feminists as a derogatory term for a woman, often associated with loose morals. Do Australian women have to be triggered every time US Representative Sheila Jackson Lee appears on TV to demand as she once famously did, that hurricanes stop being given such white names as Andrew? Should not Sheila Dixon, Baltimore's first black female mayor and subsequently Baltimore's first black female criminally convicted mayor, should, Sheila, should not Sheila Dixon have to change her name to avoid giving offence to Australian women? Ah, but no. In a massive expansion of the soul-killing uniformity of diversity, America's pathologies are to be imposed on the earth. We are all Selma, Alabama, and the entirety of Australia is now a house with no coon. So don't let your home be a house with no coon. Oh, you know what this music means. Mark's Mailbox is on the air uh, from Mark Stein Club member Babs from California. I won't identify Babs more specifically than that for reasons that will become clear. Babs writes, Mark, my daughter did a search on our corporate name to discover on page one of Google that a page announces that I and my corporation contributed $100 against gay marriage. I donated in support of a Christian group advocating the biblical view that marriage is between a man and a woman, and I voted for Proposition 8, which most Californians did too, to deny the term marriage to anyone other than a man and a woman. It never dawned on me that my contribution would eventually be announced by Google on page one. Does Google announce all donations to groups, no matter what the topic, or just donations they disagree with? Is it an attempt to help anyone who might want to attack me and our corporation? Is it legal for them to do this? Are all donations made by everyone singled out this way, no matter what the topic? Or are conservatives the only ones who get exposed, and in particular on topics known to trigger violence or great hostility by those on the left? This really smacks a political revenge to me in hopes I and my corporation will one day suffer socially or monetarily because of our donation. I wonder how many more conservative donations will be exposed by Google for political revenge. Indeed, bad. Um, I tried Googling around on some Democrat donors uh, I know and whatnot, and I didn't come up with anything conclusive on this. But to your question, is it legal for Google to do this? Yes, it's legal uh, because politicians, Democrats and Republicans alike, uh, aren't minded to stop this kind of thing. But, but when you talk of political revenge... I don't think anything Google does is accidental. Google has a 93% share of global search results. 
Um, so as a practical matter, Babs, who Google says you are is who you are to most everyone out there. So if Google says you're a homophobe who's opposed to um, whatever the approved designation is, marriage equality, they have the power to make that reductio of you stick. People on the right throw around the charge of communists so routinely that it's lost any force. But I've never forgotten traveling widely in Eastern Europe after the fall of the Iron Curtain and being stunned above all else by the snitching. The friends, neighbors, even your children who'd get signed up by the Stasi to monitor you, to see if you were listening to the BBC on shortwave radio after dark or whatever. You don't need to do that now. You don't need to turn the kid or the guy next door because we all voluntarily have a 24-7 Stasi monitoring everything we do. Uh, and it's called Google. So the question is, if Google knows you donated to a group that opposes same-sex marriage, will they use that information? And I think increasingly we all know the answer to that. As I say, nothing Google does is accidental. I mentioned the other day that last week, for a few hours, Stein Online vanished from Google search results. In other words, even if you typed in Stein Online in your search, it would just bring up other websites saying how transphobic Stein Online is. Uh, it wasn't just me. It was also Breitbart and The Daily Caller and a bunch of similarly inclined sites. To be sure, there was one left-wing website on there in the same way that when Jackie Smith, the British Home Secretary, wanted to ban a lot of incendiary imams from the UK, she also included the American radio host Michael Savage so that not everyone on the list would be called Mohammed. Uh, but the vaporization that happened last week was a 99% right-of-center vaporization. And Google... Uh, eventually corrected the issue and put out an evasive gobbledygook statement that if you decode makes plain that Breitbart and Daily Caller and I are all on a list at Google. And unfortunately some earnest young fellow punched the wrong button and that list got used to ban us from Google searches entirely. Uh, which rather raises the question of what that list is used for day by day by day presumably to suppress certain sites so that if you want to know about Joe Biden's cognitive issues, Breitbart comes up on page 37, and by then you'll have been reassured by Huffington Post, CNN, Los Angeles Times, uh, that in fact he's in tip-top shape, never been better. You know, for three years we were asked to believe that somehow a hundred grand of Facebook ads had put the thumb on the scale for Donald Trump. Okay, for the sake of argument, suppose that's true. In that case, what sized thumb on the scale does Facebook or Google have 24 hours a day? Every time a Republican wins the presidency, something goofy happens. In 2000, it was the dangling chads of the Florida recount. In 2004, it was the mysterious Eastern Time afternoon exit polls showing a John Kerry landslide uh, intended to depress Republican turnout as Mountain and Pacific voters were heading to the polls. Um, in 2016, Democrats got taken by surprise and so bogged the new administration down in baseless investigations 
uh, intended to undermine the legitimacy of the 2016 election. So what have they got planned for 2020? Whatever it is, we all know that the chances of there being an election winner by midnight on November 3rd are slim and getting slimmer. There'll be mail-in chaos and Iowa-style count collapses and legal challenges, but there will also be a huge Google thumb on the scale. The issue has never been foreign interference in the election. The issue, the challenge, the threat is domestic interference. And to return to that theme of my Monday column, the so-called silent majority, we're told pay no attention to the polls because people are too scared to tell pollsters that they're voting for Trump, but they'll be there on the big day. Uh-huh. If that's true, that millions of people are actually too scared to tell posters, pollsters they're uh, voting for Trump, uh, I knew a little unnerved that they might be equally scared actually to vote for Trump. After all, that could just as easily wind up on Google. Most of Conservative Inc. has been bought off by big tech and for pennies at that. Uh, but for the rest of us, breaking up these behemoths is the only real solution. Tales for our time, songs of the week, and of course, The Mark Stein Show. Stein Online is your one-stop shop for all things Stein. Members of the Mark Stein Club have access to the full catalog of Stein content, transcripts, and discounts, as well as the opportunity to ask Mark questions and engage with other club members in our comment section. Join the Mark Stein Club today by heading to www.steinonline.com. That's www.steinonline.com. The Mark Stein Club presents The Hundred Years Ago Show. Pancho Villa surrenders, the US mail takes flight, but French letters are grounded. It's July 1920. Your World News Update, the messy aftermath of the Great War continues by order of the Allied Premiers. The former Habsburg Duchy of Teschen has been divided between Poland and the new state of Czechoslovakia. The last Duke of Teschen, General Field Marshal Archduke Friedrich, was supreme commander of Austria-Hungary's forces during the recent World War. For Poland, you win some, you lose some. Just three weeks after Polish forces were evicted from the Belarusian capital of Minsk, the local Communist Party has proclaimed the birth of the Belarusian Soviet Socialist Republic. Bolshevism is spreading. At the Cannon Street Hotel in London, various UK socialist revolutionary groups have decided to unite to form the Communist Party of Great Britain. Two months after the assassination of his nemesis, President Carranza, Pancho Villa has agreed to recognize the new Mexican regime of President de la Huerta. The most celebrated of Mexican revolutionary bandits surrendered to De La Huerta in exchange for pensions, the award of farming land and the restoration of Mexican citizenship to each of his 200 troops. 
porque viene Pancho Villa y lo escucha de la cola, la cucaracha, la cucaracha, ya no quiere caminar porque no tiene, porque le falta marihuana que fumar. In return, the notorious outlaw has released Carl Hagelin, an American brewer he was holding for ransom. General Villa himself has agreed to retire to the quiet life. He will return to Chihuahua, where he will be given an annual allowance and a 25,000-acre hacienda. So hacienda the line for Pancho Villa. The America's Cup will be staying in America. Sir Thomas Lipton's yacht Shamrock 4 had a spectacular start taking the first two races and losing the third only on the merest technicality of a time allowance. But the American yacht Resolute fought back hard against the British challenger and took the cup in the fifth race by finishing one mile ahead. President Woodrow Wilson has sent a telegram to John L. Lewis of the Striking Miners Union telling the United Mine Workers of America to end the walkout of coal miners in Illinois and Iowa or face the loss of government recognition of the union. There are only two days' supply of coal left for America's railroads. But maybe we no longer need trains. Wait till you get them up in the air, boys. Wait till you get them up in the air. You can sail along the Milky Way, and Mr. Mars will follow you to see you don't get gay. Wait till you get them up in the clouds, boys. There won't be anyone to watch you there. Romeo and Juliet love balconies, they say, but aeroplanes just built for two are all the rage today. So wait till you get them up in the air, boys. Up, 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 way up in the air. Even if you can't get your girl up in the air, you can now get your B.A. Do to her up there. Two all-metal airplanes have taken off from New York loaded with letters on the first transcontinental postal flight. Wait till you get them up in the clouds, boys. There won't be anyone to watch you there. When you get her way up high, have all the fun you can. There never was a girl who fall that far for any man. So wait till you get them up in the air, boys. Up, 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 way up in the air. The mail is expected to land in San Francisco next month. Another landmark first, we're all familiar with the phrase gentlemen of the jury, but at the Court of Quarter Sessions in Bristol, England, at the trial of William Henry Ayrton for stealing parcels from a railway station, the Crown's prosecutor, Mr Dummett, began his opening statement with the words, ladies and gentlemen of the jury. This is the first occasion on which I have used this unfamiliar phrase. As far as I know, it has not been used before in the annals of this jurisdiction. The six ladies sitting in the jury box are the first women in the United Kingdom to serve in such a capacity since the passage of the Sex Disqualification Removal Act. 
Another first. The first World Scout Jamboree is underway at Olympia in London. 8,000 scouts from 34 nations and territories from France to Jamaica are in attendance. And the glass-roofed arena has been filled with a foot of earth and grassed over to enable the lads to pitch their tents. At the suggestion of the head of the Boy Scouts of America, Sir Robert Baden-Powell was to be given the title Great Indian Chief. But during the ceremony, a boy is reported to have cried out, Long live the Chief Scout of the World! And Sir Robert has decided that this is the title he would prefer to be known by. Miss Tanguette may be the sensation of the City of Light with her new song from the review Paris Qui Jazz, Mon Homme, My Man. But for other homme et femme in the throes of passion, the French Republic has banned the sale and prescription of all forms of birth control or contraception. The government is not contraception, but proconception, having lost one and a half million men during the World War. They are also banning what they call antinatalist propaganda in an effort to restore French birth rates. Jon Dragoumis, the Greek politician and son of a former prime minister, has been killed in Athens. He was passionate about the so-called Macedonian struggle and also passionate about passion, the lover of the celebrated Greek actress Marika Kotopouli. Just a day after two royalists attempted to assassinate Greek Prime Minister Venizelos at the Gare de Lyon in Paris, members of Venizelos's personal guard decided to enact their revenge by executing Mr. Dragoumis. He was 42. And that's the way of the world, July 1920. A hundred years from today. A hundred years from today. That'll do it for... Oh, no, wait, 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 wait. We usually end with a song of the week or a last call. Last call or song of the week. The magnificent Olivia de Havilland died in Paris on Sunday. Can we get a little Max Steiner maybe going here? What a fabulously orchestrally racist theme that is. We should ban it now. Dame Olivia died just four weeks after celebrating her 104th birthday, a grand old age. Uh, Melanie Hamilton from Gone with the Wind 
outlived Leslie Howard, Clark Gable, Vivian Lee, Butterfly McQueen, and yes, the composer Max Steiner, the director Victor Fleming, the producer David Selznick, and everyone else from that classic. In fact, she came close to outliving the film itself when the Bozo Philistines at HBO temporarily banned it. Did Olivia de Havilland ever sing? Well, here she is introducing a great American song in the 1938 picture, Hard to Get. Does your mother realize the stork delivered quite a prize the day he left you on the family tree? I've never taken it up with her. Does your dad appreciate that you are merely super great, the miracle of any century? He hasn't mentioned it. If they don't, just send them both to me. You must have been a beautiful baby. You must have been a wonderful child. Wait a minute, wait when a minute, that's not a duet. She's just talking in the fill while Dick Powell does all the heavy lifting. Okay, how about this? Olivia de Havilland on the Gulf Screen Theatre Show on the CBS network in 1940. And now let's reach way down in the Gulf question box, and here's the first one for Olivia de Havilland, who can be seen in Warner Brothers, Elizabeth, and Essex. Olivia, if Bernice Gaunt and Jacques de Boujac appeared in a picture together, what names would you see on the marquee? Well, I never heard of them. <laughs> you never did, I'm quite sure. Not under those names, but listen. Bernice Gaunt and Jacques de Boujac are the real names of Shirley Ross and Bruce Cabot. So, Olivia, you've got to get ready and pay a forfeit. And your forfeit is something I have right here in my pocket. A few little words written on a piece of paper. You must sing those. Not only sing them, but sing them the way Bonnie Baker would sing them. Oh, oh Johnny O. Oh. <laughs> oh, Johnny O. Oh, Johnny, how you can love. Oh, I give up! I give up! I give up! Thank you, Olivia de Havilland. Thank you. Yeah, okay, that was Dame Olivia singing, uh, but just four bars. So, uh, how about this? A cameo in the star-studded wartime flick, Thank Your Lucky Stars, 1943. She's very game in this, as is the great Ida Lupino flanking George Tobias, whom telly fans uh, may recall as Darren and Samantha's next-door neighbour on Bewitched. The Dreamer The Dreamer I reckon that's my name When my dream boat comes, he dreams of genie with a light brown hair. Ain't it a shame, oh, ain't it a shame, oh. Well, that's a full number, all right, but not a terribly good one, uh, despite their enthusiasm. Okay, we may have exhausted a great dramatic actress's contribution to the musical literature, uh, but here's a song Olivia de Havilland certainly knew. Like a leaf that has blown away, gone with the wind. My romance. 
romance has flown away. Yesterday's kisses are still on my lips. I had a lifetime of heaven at my fingertips. If you hear that on the radio or see it mentioned in a book, it's invariably described as the theme to Gone with the Wind. It's not. It's not in the picture because it was written two years before, 1937, to cash in on the success of Margaret Mitchell's original novel. There's no copyright in title, so you can have a book called Gone with the Wind and a song called Gone with the Wind and maybe even an Australian cheese called Gone with the Wind. This one uh, was written by Herb Maggotson and Ali Rubel, solid professional songwriters. Mr. Rubel wrote Zippity Duda. Mr. Maggotson wrote the first song ever to win an Oscar, The Continental. But about a decade after they came up with this one, it... Uh, became a big favourite with jazz musicians. Here's the version I love to play in my disc jockey days, a little bearskin rug music. Barney Castle on guitar, Ray Leatherwood on bass, and the smoky vocals that never fail to fog up my glasses, even more than Doc Fauci's face masks, Miss Julie London. Gone with the wind Gone like a leaf that has blown away Gone with the wind My romance has flown away Yesterday's kisses Are still on my lips I had a lifetime of De Havilland, Regis Philbin, Coon Cheese. It's all gone with the wind. We are reaping the whirlwind. It's all gotta go. I'll be back this evening with the latest episode in our new tale for our time, my contemporary inversion of the Prisoner of Zender. Uh, the Prisoner of Windsor. Thank you for your kind uh, comments about it. Jennifer, a first-day founding member of the Stein Club, went driving round Idaho to the accompaniment of our latest audio adventure, and I hope the binge listen complimented the bucolic scenery, Jennifer. But it works. It's not just for country drives. It works in burnt-out downtowns and autonomous zones too. So I hope you'll join me for that later today. Stay safe, stay free.
Join us next time for another edition of The Mark Stein Show. The Mark Stein Show is a production of Mark Stein Enterprises and Oak Hill Media. All rights reserved.